Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find most of your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors might provide the roadmap for that journey. These mentors include, on the first Thursday of each month, Alan Fox, the second Thursday is Coach Chuck Reese. the third Thursday, like today, we had grace to have Dr. John Murray with us. The fourth Thursday is usually your Coach Scott Williams or Linda LeClaire, and then on some of those uh, Thursdays when we have Linda LeClaire, we're blessed to have her husband, Dr. Bryce Young, on with her. And on those fifth Thursdays, which will happen actually uh, this month, well, who knows? Sometimes it's Ashley Hobson. Uh, sometimes uh, it could be Scott Inge, the great uh, high school coach, a turned college coach. Uh, could be uh, Mitch Mikowski from the USTA, or could be one of the uh, PTR or USPTA or USTA executives. We've had them all on in the last uh, three years, so stay tuned. We will let you know after next week's show who will, will be on the following week. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio is that you can listen anytime you want. So if you don't listen uh, live, tell your friends they can tune in anytime they want to hear the show. I very seldom listen to uh, Coach Chuck Reese uh, on his Wednesday American Tennis uh, program. I did listen to it, not live yesterday, but I actually listened to it this morning. He had another outstanding uh, broadcast. And because I do believe Dr. King, when he said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday, I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally, you will hear my biased views that tennis journey should be going through our high schools and our colleges. Uh, together, who knows, we may make up, wake up that sleeping giant called high school uh, tennis. I ask uh, almost every week, is your high school and uh, tennis program and after school uh, activity, or is it an after school uh, sport? Sadly, I think we're coming to a point where we get asked that same question about college uh, tennis. Uh, so it's, uh, I think we've got to remember that uh, our students in high school and in college are going to be going out and facing the real world. And they're going to be competing. So please, uh, competition is not a bad word. Uh, I think we'll probably get into a discussion with that with Dr. John Murray uh, today. Uh, but um, I think we we have to sit there and uh, produce a sports program. I do believe that after-school activities are important. I just believe that after-school sports are more important. And the mighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my views in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I previously expressed, if you disagree, 
I may share your views uh, on this broadcast or in one of my articles. It wouldn't be the first time. Just contact me at Coach Denise, that's D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. That's Coach Denise dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows? You might uh, get your views. We must remember where there is no vision, the people will perish. So please express your views. I don't expect everybody to agree with me, and uh, I don't always understand why. (laughs) But uh, it happens quite often, and as long as we can talk civilly back and forth, uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, it's important to speak your mind, but I do also believe it's more important to listen to other people's views and find out what uh, they think, and um, you you never know, you might uh, make adjustments in your own views. Uh, Besides our weekly conversation, like I said, the Almighty Willing, you'll be able to continue reading my views in Florida Tennis Magazine, and uh, I uh, actually, in this past issue, there's the first of a three-part issue uh, articles uh, on uh, some of the issues that Chuck Reese talked about yesterday on his show and what we've talked about different times. Uh, there seems to be uh, a lot of unhappy people in tennis, and uh, it's uh, a time that uh, in order to, I think we all, if we're involved in tennis, owe something to the game, and we have to uh, sit there and speak up and Uh, share our views. Uh, I think it's important that we have uh, organizations that are strong, but it's also important to have organizations that are listening uh, to views. So uh, uh, I've addressed it in a three-part article. Uh, Normally we don't have three-part articles in the magazine. Jim March, the editor and founder of the magazine, uh, knows my limitations on writing, and he allowed me to uh, do a three-part article, and uh, the second part will come out next month, and then uh, the uh, the third part will come out later on. I would like to thank J.P. Weber, the Yellow Ball CEO, for hosting our network, and if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you're missing out on some useful information, and I would suggest that uh, you do that. I would also uh, remind you that if you're not subscribing to Florida Tennis or someone has taken the last copy of the magazine from your pro shop, you can always find my articles as well as the last uh issue article on www.fhstca.org. You might also uh, find some of Jim Marks' articles in mine uh, by going to uh, FL Tennis on Facebook. Florida Tennis is now uh, on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And uh, some of the things that don't make the article, uh, you can see on Facebook sometimes some of the uh, 
information that uh, is coming out in the next article. You might get a heads up on it and uh, by going uh, uh, to Facebook. So, uh, like I said, and if you disagree with uh, me and uh, with uh, my views, I'm going to express my views uh, as I perceive the truth to be. And uh, I respect your views, and if you uh, want to sit there and give them to me, uh, we we might be able to discuss them. I don't take um, live calls on uh, the air. Uh, I'm not uh, the most computer illiterate person, so I uh, try to avoid that. But uh, if uh, it is something that if you... uh, want to, uh, you can uh, get that um, information to me, and I will, uh, hang on, I think I have uh, our other uh, guest on, tell them it's a 714 number, Uh, calling on the wrong line, so let me uh, see if uh, I can uh, get him on in a couple of minutes. Uh, like I was saying, I'm sorry, I apologize, but um, I, I do think that communications is important, and I do think that uh, we need to um, sit there and not shout at each other, but talk to each other. And the biggest part about talking to each other is being willing to listen to each other. So I think that uh, that becomes very important. Well, we're waiting for Dr. Uh, John Murray. I uh, did see, uh, it is interesting, I do believe that sports is a reflection of life. I do believe that tennis um, is probably uh, more than any other sports is like a crisis management um Game, you're always trying to solve a problem. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress uh, that goes through it. But, uh, and I will ask uh, Dr. Murray after. I think uh, I got the information uh, from him, but it might have been from Dr. Uh, Jim Loeb, one of the workshops I went to years ago. I've been trying um, to do away with paper because I have paper all over uh, the place. I've been failing miserably. I actually started about a year and a half ago, and I just started filing things in stroke development and conditioning and to mental training. Uh, And when doing that, uh, I have a statement in there, and I think it was... uh, I think it's probably Dr. Murray, but I will ask to make sure. But I, yes, but it is um, a reflection, I think, of life. And a matter of fact, one of the questions that he has, which we'll get into, I think it's it's an interesting uh, timing. Doctor, are you there? I am here. How you doing, John? Good. I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing super down here in this lousy weather, but we're doing great. We're doing well. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, for a while, I kept throwing uh, 
water on my lawn, uh, you know, just keeping up with the limitations we're allowed to put on there. But it's, uh, I don't have to worry about uh, my next uh, lot next to me uh, catching fire and burning up or anything for a while. I tell you. So anyway, how are you doing today? Well, how's that? How, how are the people doing? I'd love to hear from some of you guys that hear these shows. Please email me sometime so we can get some dialogue going. I'd love to love that. Uh, yes, I think that would be great. I, as a matter of fact, I just uh, through telling them if they just email uh, Cedar you uh, um, or me uh, that uh, I don't take the live. Uh, calls over the broadcast because I had an incident about three years ago. I'm not the most computer literate person. And by the time I found the mute, uh, it was uh, about a minute and a half. And when I contacted Houston to delete it, I found out they couldn't. So, uh, but I do believe in conversations. Like I just uh, told the audience that uh, I think we have to a nice shout at each other, but talk at each other. And I think one of the most important things is to listen to each other. As a matter of fact, uh, you had uh, uh, a question, and I, it's interesting because I think it really fits into today's. Um, I, I think it, somebody uh, contacted you about staying focused uh, on the mindset, uh, the distractions during the match and everything. And when you think about the turmoil today, uh, I think that's important. Maybe we should go to that before I go to uh, one of the questions that I received. Uh, would you like to talk okay. about that? Uh, yeah, what sure. we well, need and how we can do it? I've always thought that focus is the most important mental skill of all. Now, I don't care if we're talking about tennis or anything, but in in this day and age, you, have, you know, you mentioned talking and listening to people I think is really important. Uh, you know, we're, we're so divided as a nation politically, so it's important to be able to let people express themselves. If they want to wear a red hat or if they want to wear a blue hat, don't be, you know, getting in their face and at, at Cheesecake Factory in Miami and and telling the person to leave because he has a particular political thing going on. But what I was curious about is how, and I'm not going to take a political stance here, but I will say that the president has been amazingly effective at dealing with distractions all year long. I mean, he's been throwing so many distractions, yet he keeps plodding along. And I thought that from a purely mechanical perspective, that he's displaying some amazing focus. And that, in fact, is what's most important mentally in my perspective and my work is helping people develop those skills. So I think today what we could do, John, is talk about a few of the uh, the principles of that and maybe speculate about how how he's able to do that, how he's able to keep moving despite all the different attacks that are constantly being flung his way. I think that's a good idea because I often say that a tennis match is like crisis management you're looking to put out a fire. You're trying to take time away from your opponent, or you're trying to buy time in the stress uh, that that could create. And the, the game, like like any game, it's more than the learning strokes or shooting a basketball. Uh, it's playing it. So I, I think that's a great idea. Why don't you go ahead? Because I really think, yeah. of course, I'm biased, but tennis more than any other sport reflects life's journey. 
I had a I had a radio show about 20 years ago in Miami, and I would bring in different guests that had different interesting careers. And one time I brought in a controller. You know, they if my phone wow. goes out, John, let me know. Yeah, the air air traffic controllers are amazing at keeping their focus with all those little things on the screen. And of course, the consequences for failure are unbearable. You don't <laughs> want to fail in that situation. Um, but really, I mean, there's so many challenges. Okay, are you still there, John? Did I lose you? I am, yes. I'm just listening okay. to you because I think what you have to say is important. Yeah, I think I have to practice my focus. When when my phone starts wigging out on me, I'm sitting here, um, <laughs> and, and here I am having to practice the skills I'm trying to teach and preach. So anyway, what I, what I do is I talk about that in all my work, and I, I start with the concept that you want to be not just focused and the worst thing is when a coach yells, focus. You don't want to do that. What you want to do is get so uh, caught up in what you're doing, so fascinated in the moment that it doesn't even require effort. And we call that effortless effort. And I think that's one of the first principles would be to truly enjoy the process and place that as a, as, as a huge priority when you go out there to play a tennis match or a basketball game or a football game, whatever it is is to be fascinated in every single moment of that event. So that's the first thing I'd like to highlight. And do you have any, any thoughts about that, John? I'll keep going and kind of make this a little teaching episode if you want, or you can ask me any questions. Go for it. No, that, why don't we make it a teaching uh, episode? Uh, I, I, would, I would ask one thing to get into as we get – I started to explain before, trying to – become paperless, and which I've been failing at miserably. But going through my notes, what I filed in strokes and mental toughness, I see something here, and I'm thinking it came from you about 15, 20 years ago. Maybe it came from Dr. Lear, but I have on my note here, stress is something that is needed. The more we want to grow, we need to be exposed to stress. Did I get that from you? I, well, I don't know if you got that from me, but it's so true. I think I talk about the best preparation for something is to experience it. Um, so when I'm when I'm working with an athlete, you might think that I'm always trying to get them perfectly focused in my office or on the phone and get them in this perfectly comfortable place, and that might be part of the training. But another big part of it is to make their life a living hell. And so by dealing with distractions – uh, aggressively or assertively, in other words, expecting the worst to possibly happen. You can call that resistance training, or you can call it inoculation. It's sort of analogous to getting a, a flu shot, even though I don't believe in flu shots. But you, you get a little bit of the, the virus, and it, uh, what happens is your body comes back stronger and fights it off. So I think that's – so instead of just thinking about being relaxed or being focused or fascinated, you also have to train actively – I think um, if we're talking about the president, he's had a lot of experience doing that. He's from New York. He's been dealing with a multi-billion-dollar empire, and so he has a lot of experience with, you know, love him or hate him. He's had hundreds of lawsuits, so he's probably dealt with a lot of adversity. I don't know if somebody from Plains, Georgia, would do as good a job in this environment, for example. So that's an example of what's really important for focus is to do what you're saying, and that is to create stress, manage stress, resistance training, all those things, expect the worst, and when you do that effectively, nothing bothers you, and you're much better off, and you're more b prepared for the real world. 
Yeah, because I just uh, I asked a question at the beginning of this, each show. Is uh, your high school and college team is tennis an after school activity or is it an after sport? And there's nothing wrong with after school activities, but I think there's more in teaching life problems with sports and competition. I don't think is a bad word, and I just wonder if you know if we get too caught up with all these politically correct statements instead of doing the job and competing out there. No, that's, that's a good point. I, in fact, in my, in my third book that I wrote on football called the mental performance index, I talk about in the very early part of that book that I would, I would find sports extremely boring if there wasn't a winner and a loser. And I think this concept that you give in a, a participation trophy to everyone is ridiculous. I think you have to compete. You have, there's a winner, there's somebody that doesn't win, you know, and I think that you, the, the purpose, in my view, of sport is, is just it's competition. It's going out there and trying to, trying to win. So there's a place for arts and crafts and recreation. Maybe a badminton game on a summer cottage somewhere up in New England on a lazy day. But that's not what I'm talking about when I talk to most of my clients. They pay me good money to help them get John, I think you might have lost you there. Okay, we hopefully he's going to be coming back, but he said he have a phone problem. Let's see um, if uh, he is there. Let me see if I get Bobby. Can you call Dr. Murray back? What? Call Dr. Murray back. I think I've lost him. Uh, okay. okay. Well, I think it's important. I will look at the screen. I, I think the point that I was that the doctor was making, and he makes it a lot better than I can, is that you know if you're going to expose somebody to all that training, then we also have to get them mentally prepared too. And doctor, are you back? Yeah, it's, John, it's the problem is the modern. I, I'm here. Can I you hear me? We lost you for a minute, so I'm going to ask you to repeat what you said about the last 45 seconds to a minute. Yeah, well, I was just emphasizing the idea that sport, in the way that I play it with my clients, they pay me good money to get them ready for battle. And I would find sport boring if it was just an arts and crafts activity. So in my third book on football, I define that as one of the most exciting parts about competition in sports is the fact that there's a winner and a loser. So I believe that that is right. What you're saying and that most people would benefit from the, you know, what they learn in sports to, to apply it to life. If they, if they view it more as a competitive event, not to say there's not a place for recreation, but that's usually not the world that I live in with my work. Right. And I, so that's, that's the message today is to focus is get yourself ready for absolute mayhem. Get ready for the most difficult situation on the court. And when you deal with that mentally through imagery or through goal setting or through planning or through whatever you want to call it, coaching, training, you're going to be that much better when it's time to, to go out there and have some real fun and, and play the match. Right. Okay, how about with some of the keys that uh, you would sit there and tell your clients? Uh, what are some of the examples you might use? 
One of them is divide and conquer. Okay, now you have in a tennis match anywhere between 100 to 150, maybe 200 points in a match. So what we need to do is see the principle of divide. Can you hear me, John? I'm still there? Yes, I can. Yes. Okay. I can Sorry about that. You. Yeah, one point at a time. So take take a perspective that when you play a point, you know, that's a that's a really important moment. And when the point is over, it's over. Don't keep dwelling on it. Don't gloat in, gloat in your victory and don't get depressed about your loss. So divide and conquer will help you focus. Another principle is to view focus as a, hunt, a thousand different levels. So kind of get in the, in the habit of asking yourself after a match how well you did. Maybe you, on a scale of one to a thousand, you did 500. Maybe the next match was 600 or 650. And continually ask yourself to get a little bit better because these mental skills need to be somewhat quantified to make to really have a benefit. I know it's a self-rating, which is not a perfect scale, but it's important. And then a final thing that, that you really want to do when you're improving your focus is to keep your emphasis on the process of what you're going to do and not worry so much about the outcome or the, the you know, whether you won or lost the point. So again, you want to be dividing and conquering. You want to be measuring as if there's a thousand different levels of focus and try to give yourself a rating. And then you want to be process centered in your goals. So have the, you know, process is what you do. It's kind of like how you, it's what you do on the court in that particular point. So if you, if you apply those three things and you combine that with resistance training and staying fascinated, you're going to be more focused than you've ever been in your life. And that's going to help you be a better tennis player. Very good. Yes. Very good. I think in tennis, um, and the one thing did, friends, in other sports, I was reading an article recently, and they were talking about uh, mental training and sports psychology becoming integrated into training. And the New York Mets have six to seven mental coaches. I was surprised to hear that. And I think back to when you and I started talking about uh, this here and listening to you and then uh, you inviting you to speak to our group. Uh, it just, uh, I guess, can, can we ever have that in tennis selfishly or do we have to just, you know, do it individually? Well, no, I, I think what happens is, you know, in, in, in tennis, it's more the individual, uh, the professional player that would, would, would contact me or contact someone like me. Whereas in a huge organization like the Mets, maybe they have some resources to apply at the uh, the AA and AAA level. I, that's where I think most of that's going on. I mean, they might have somebody in the clubhouse for the for the main team, but um, I, I think it's great. I think it's great that that's starting to spread. Um, I you know who knows how well they're doing it, but it's good that, to hear that tennis. I mean, there's not a whole lot of funding for that, right? So you're talking about a high school or college they're not going to have a lot of money to, to apply to that. So it really comes down to the player or the parents or the player's sponsor or the player's agent with contacts. So, yeah, I mean, definitely we need it in tennis. We need it in baseball. We need it in golf. We need it in all sports, really, but especially the three I mentioned. And um, it's going to continue to proliferate, but it's just, it's just you know, it's nice to see the progress with, with the Mets and with other baseball teams. I think that's been – a sport that's been called a sport of failure, right? So if you bet 300, you're, you know, you're failing 70% of the time. So it's, it's certainly important to keep your positive attitude and keep your focus. 
Yeah, and the, and the interesting thing is that, and I think you're probably right, uh, they're probably doing a lot of it in the minor leagues and everything, but I hear sometimes in uh, watching tennis and they'll say uh, how immature a player is and the person's acting like a kid, and we forget that the person is 18 or 19. Well, in Major League Baseball, they're – you know, there's a lot more of them going through college than they're getting drafted from colleges. So by the time they're getting into the pros, they're 23, 24, 25. Uh, it seems like we need it in tennis probably more than other sports because we are sending kids out there. And then we criticize them for acting like a kid. No, no question about it. And, you know, you see that too. The younger people probably need it probably a little bit more. But don't stop there. I think that, you know, even people like Tom Brady, you know, how, how, what's he approaching, 40 now or something? I mean, mm-hmm. he still raves about the, the mental training he receives, and he's on top of his game. So, uh, you know, it's funny. When I got into this profession, I thought it was important. I thought it was critical. I, I never would have gone back to grad school. But, you know, what's really ironic is I've learned that it's even more important than I even initially thought. So it's not a sell job for me and my internal processing. I think of it as something that if you're not doing it, you're losing upwards of 50% of the potential that you might have within you. It's just so critical. I mean, another way to look at it, I heard this recently, I think you posted something or somebody posted something on my Facebook page about this. And I've been talking about this forever too, is you can think of the body and you can think of skill or talent as sort of a, a physical element. And then you can think of the mental training as being the software. So it's like a computer analogy. You have a nice hard drive and you have nice, um, uh, you know, physical things that go into the computer, but unless you have excellent software to run that, you're not going to have anything. So this, so the, you know, the whole software explosion with Bill Gates, you know, that you see how critically important it is. It almost makes the, makes the hardware look, look, look ridiculous by comparison. You need solid software. You can, there's, you know, there's many people that have great talent that never make it because they haven't been able to organize their thoughts, feelings, actions, and sensations very well. So it's just so important. And I think, you know, I have to keep reminding myself because I live in this world, you know, some of you out there may have never had mental training and it's, it's something that I need to keep repeating ad nauseum because I truly believe in it. I think that it'll make you a better player, a happier player and a better player. So yeah, what you're saying is right about tennis. What you're saying is right about all sports, young and old. You know, let's not limit it. Let's not limit it in any way, shape, or form. I think everybody needs it. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And that's why I appreciate talking to you every month, and I appreciate what you've done. And you know, and years ago, coming to the high school workshops and everything. Uh, when uh, people then, you know, were wondering why we need it, but I. I just when we look in baseball, it's obvious the failure ratio. You're three, is three hundred. You're in the Hall of Fame, and but in other individually through life, I I think would you know you look at right now the the troubling part that we have in society. I just wonder how much of it is because of some of the young colleges, uh, young students in college haven't competed before. Don't know what it is that the fail isn't the uh, 
end of the world, that uh, it's a stepping stone. And uh, if you learn from that failure, you're, you're on your way to uh, the next challenge. I, I, I don't yep. understand. Well, I think I do understand, but maybe I'm wrong. I want to hear other people's views on why we have this society problem. And in fairness, I criticize sometimes people in your profession when I hear somebody say, uh, that, uh, you know, let these people choose their own curriculums and everything. I mean, when this country was formed, we were smart enough to set a age limit on who's going to be a congressperson, a senator, a house of representative, a president, because we knew experience was needed, needed and yet we're, we're saying that a teenager uh, can sit there and choose their own uh, agenda, what they're going to learn. I, I'm confused. Well, I don't know about that. I, I, but, but, but I think that this, what we're talking about goes way beyond the tennis court. I mean, there's many people that out there that may not play sports at all. And I think um, you're right. I think experience is important, but you know, experience can be enhanced by a focus on these kinds of things at the earlier levels. So when kids come to me, I think they have a decided advantage. If they come to me at 14 or 15 years old, when they get to college, they're going to be that much better, more mature, more ready for, for what's going to happen at the college level and beyond the college level. So we're just teachers. We're fulfilling a, a function that's important. I also believe that in industry and in business and in politics and in all major enterprises, there should be some emphasis on this as well is to, you know, to have, there's so many poor decisions that are made at the highest levels in whatever enterprise you're talking about. So having someone and some process in place, whether it's executive coaching or mental coaching or sports psychology or uh, whatever you want to call it, having some place to check in with the quality of your thoughts that week, the quality of your goals, the quality of your fascination in the moment, the quality of your emotional control, how well you're, fighting and working hard, how effective you've been, how your imagery is, how your confidence is, all these things we don't get. We don't get these in school. We don't get these necessarily naturally. We, we, we acquire some of it playing in a sport, in a college program, but I think it needs to be taught more effectively. Excellent point. Excellent point. Okay, what do you want to address next, Dr.? Well, another thing that when we're, we're talking about focus today, so that's our main, our main thrust. And I think it's also important to think about the routine. Now, a lot of you out there playing tennis, coaching tennis, are probably using some kind of routine, whether informally or formally. And what I think I'd like to emphasize today and, and teach today, if there's anybody out there that would like to get this, is a standard type of routine that you might be able to apply. So let's say you're playing a point. This, and by the way, the routine is going to help you be, be focused. It's going to help you get more, uh, more focused and in the moment. Now, let's go through. I'm going to give you a little five-step routine that I think could be very helpful. Let's say you're playing a point. The point is over. Uh, I think it's important for a couple seconds after that point is over to analyze briefly the cause of what happened on that point. Was it something that you did well or something you did poorly? Or was it something your opponent did well or poorly? And, and make a quick mental, I call it a quick mental note or a sticky note. Like imagine the color yellow, a little sticky note about how well you did on that point. You want to do that because it, later in the match you can pull from that memory. So let's say that you had a, 
excellent approach shot. It, it created a, uh, a weak return, and then you put the volley away. Well, the volley wasn't the cause of the point. The, the, the approach shot was what, or the, the ground stroke that even preceded the, the approach shot was what you did well. So the mental note is your first step in this five-step process. The second thing you want to do is relax and take a deep breath. So when you're getting ready for the next point, maybe take a few seconds to just slow down, relax, and take a deep breath and get your mind clear. You might imagine somewhere peaceful, like a mountain range or a beach. The third step is to fire yourself back up and do a little imagery. So you're getting ready to come up to the line to serve or you're getting ready to return. You want to imagine exactly what you're going to be doing on that point. Fourth step would be a mini ritual or a mini routine. And we see, you know, we know countless strategies of bouncing the ball a certain way before you serve or moving your feet a certain way, moving your hips before you return. And then the final step, the fifth step is to just do it. So it's more of an automatic phase of just let it happen not thinking about it, and, and that's essentially where you want to go anyway. You want to be in an auto, auto, autopilot mode. So five steps, people, to help you focus, to kind of put the icing on the cake of this beautiful cake called concentration or focus. Let's go through them again. Number one, make a quick mental note. Number two, relax. Number three, fire yourself up with a little bit of imagery about what you want to do. Number four, a mini ritual of some sort, whether it's for the server or for the return. And then five, autopilot, and just play the point. So, John, I think by having those five steps in your back pocket, you need to make it your own. You can move the steps around a little bit. It doesn't have to be exactly as I described it. But I think some, some combination of those five elements would make you get ready for a point better than you ever have in your life. So if you haven't done that yet, if you're not, do- if you're not doing that with your students or with yourself in your own comp- competitions, Try to think of that. Think of something you can do that will help you get ready for that critical moment, which is the point. I'm winded. Yeah, I, just, I just used up a lot of airtime. <laughs> no, no, that, I thought that was excellent. I mean, those five steps, I think, is so important. Uh, having a sticky note to relax to take that, the imagery, and pouring in mini routine, and then just do it, put it yourself on automatic pilot. I think that sometimes, you know, as a coach, and we're always trying, I assume, I'm always, in any way, always trying to analyze how I'm doing and how I'm handling the situation. We think about the stroke, you know, and asking questions about there, and we don't think often enough as to ask the person, you know, did they go through the routine all the time? And that's just as important. Like you said, most points, uh, are, are ended before the final, final point. And people look and say, oh, that shot was out uh, or a uh, shot was hit into the net. But usually there's something that happened before that caused that. Also, yeah, so, so the, the real benefit here, um, I, I think I, I refined this approach. I was working with a Davis Cup player from South America about 15 years ago. And the guy played Agassiz to a three-set match. It was really close. And we almost beat Agassiz. I can't say we beat them, but that's okay. Um, but the idea is that you've only got 20 or 25 seconds, whatever, to get ready for the the next point. So a lot of times what people do is they'll lose the point and sabotage that time. So they'll use the first 15 seconds mulling over their defeat, and now they've just shortchanged themselves when they're you know getting ready for the next point. They'll lose another point because they haven't prepared. So what I'm trying to say is that what happens off points is oftentimes even more important than what's happening when you're doing things that should come automatically, like stroke production or 
strategy implementation. So it's, it's often the little things you do before the point. And this applies in all sports too. We could talk about the same concept in baseball, in, in rifle shooting at the Olympics, in skiing when you're going up the chairlift, in football when you're going through the pre-snap read at the line of scrimmage as a quarterback. There's so many instances where this routine concept comes into play. And I've emphasized that forever. It's really important. Yes, it is. You know, Doctor, a lot of times, well, I shouldn't put other people. Myself, I sit there and tell players to recognize, you know, the physical stress when they're uh, it's happening. You know, they start, their breath gets shorter, their hands uh, might get sweaty, their feet feel heavier and everything. I don't think we don't talk enough, and I don't, I don't, don't think I did, about the mental stress. Is there things that you would recognize, a, a person should recognize that they are feeling the stress or they're not handling that stress properly? Is things that they can uh, recognize just like they would recognize if they're starting to get tired and slow down instead of speeding up? Oh, oh no doubt about it. And I would, I would, say that that's another segment you know someday when we're on the radio we'll talk about what i call energy control or emotional control or energy management you know there's many things you can do to you want to find that optimal level now it's ironic again while most people play better when they're relaxed some people play better when they're more fired up so you really need to know the individual you need to know yourself i would say that um sometimes you might want to train when you're doing your imagery or when you're working with with a sports psychologist you want to train in a highly activated state and, and see if you can lower your blood pressure, lower your heart rate, lower it, you know, put yourself relaxed despite the fact that you're maybe a little too excited. The truth is that anger and overexcitement and rage, all those things impair performance. Normally it's, it's not going to help you, but then you could also learn to channel that energy in more effective ways. So, and, and the end result is better focus. So coming back to our theme today about concentration, yeah, you're certainly going to have some distractions that come from internal, from your body, from your sensations. And it's important to be able to regulate those because, let's face it, it's, it's, a, it's a battle out there. I mean, it, it creates all kinds of anxieties and potential angers and frustrations. And so the person who learns to calm themselves down more effectively, and I think it happens both on the court and also off the court long before they even step onto the court. You have to practice this is much better prepared. So again, it's about managing your, your resources more effectively. Interesting. I guess you're always, uh, well, at your level, it's different than at our level because you have so much more uh, training. That's why you have those extra degrees and everything. But I mean, I, I, I think back when I was on the uh, board of the USTA Florida section and, the USTA had a whole training thing on for parents and how to relate to the kids and, you know, don't, don't sit there and judge them by their, uh, uh, you know, play and everything and don't ask questions right after. And I often wondered, did we actually do any good? And talking to people and seeing them react after and ask them and, they give you the. They can recite what we told them, but they don't seem to live that. They don't seem to be doing that. Right. Uh, how long does it take you to get through to know if somebody's listening to you or not? Well, um, 
listening to me in terms of the parent, I think is what you're, you're highlighting. The, the issue you're raising is indeed one of the biggest problems. I remember about 25 years ago, I went to a sports psychology seminar when I, seminar when I was still a graduate student. And I asked one of them, I said, you know, what is the most important issue today in sports? And he, and he said, parents, the sports psychologist that, that I was listening to speak said, it's the parents getting over-involved. And the truth is they're not trained to, to deal with this. And another thing is that the kids want their parents to be parents. They don't want them to be their coach usually. So it can raise all kinds of high expectations, pressures, anxieties, uh, and I think the key is to be savvy in how you deal with this kid, find out how they tick and apply it properly. But I think what you got was very good at those seminars. The idea that the parents should not, you know, get in their face and try to over manage them or talk to them too soon after a match or, you know, there's, there's a lot of anxiety that's, that's comes out of that and just be able to compete, be able to be free and go out there and be your best and just have fun and compete that needs to come from within. It can't be engineered from the outside by a parent that has his or her own agenda. And that's one of the big issues in sports. And I think the athletes that get around that are the ones that learn to kind of just deal with their parents. And so, you know, because a lot of times that does, it's, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it gets you to that point of greatness or to, to be able to get a college scholarship or to play professionally. On the other hand, it can be highly disruptive. So the ones that really move forward are the ones that are able to kind of uh, assimilate or take in what's good and, and kind of disregard what's not good in terms of over-involvement. But that's certainly, I think, anything in life. I mean, it has to come from within us. So you want to be constantly searching for that source of energy deep within your own soul, not uh, someone else's ideas. So from the outside, even, even coaches need to be aware of that so they can help inspire their kids from within rather than have them on a rope. I mean, feeling like they're being pulled around like a puppet. Yeah, that, that's difficult. I I, I think we're all, um, you know, sometimes I feel we're too critical of parents. I mean, they are giving us the most special commodity uh, they have, and that's their child. Uh, that I get disturbed when I read some of this stuff, but yet facing it, I, I recognize it. And like I always say to my wife, Bobby, uh, the only uh, – two sensible parents I ever known was her and I, and sometimes I wondered about her, and she says, and many times I wondered about you. So, so we are <laughs> all human. Yeah, so I, I mean, but, but go back to what I said about that sports psychologist 25 years ago. That's, that's profound. I mean, if, if he's telling me that's the most important issue, then we know there's a lot of crazy tennis parents out there. And it's funny, there was an article written about that, but it was, it was a, a twist on that concept saying we need more crazy tennis parents. And I think, I don't know what the state of American tennis is. I think it's pretty good right now, isn't it? I think we've done pretty well recently. What would you I say? I think it's Overall, coming but, back but, again, but I think we have some serious uh, problems. And, uh, and there's, yeah. uh, I know well, and of course, gambling is a world problem. I, I guess sports relates to, you know, life in so many ways. Uh, you know, with my background and coming from law enforcement and working in drugs for so long, I'm always worried about addiction. But I I see gambling addiction now, and, you know, in the pros, uh, it's, in tennis, we're facing a problem there. And, uh, but... You know, now uh, we're we're going to see it in all sports. So I don't know. I think your job is going to get busier uh, uh, well, than it even is. 
Well, I mean, I think some of that stuff can come from, you know, it's learned behaviors or substance abuse or gambling. I, I think another thing we need to, that I, I haven't really emphasized much on this show, but I've seen it in my work. I've seen it with people in society is suicide. I mean, it's a huge problem. So really being able right. to have a place to talk and, and to not feel burdened by all the pressure in the world, sports should not be like that. If, if you're out there and you feel like you have the whole world on your shoulders and you're feeling the pressure from parents or from whatever, that's not right. There's something wrong. You need to talk to somebody. So just being aware of those issues, I think, um, and talking about them can help to, uh, to make the situation better. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, twists and turns and human behavior is always going to have that, you know, that element, the, the difficult elements and being able to resolve them before they pop crop up or whatever I think is important. Yeah, I do. We got to come to a point pretty soon in society where uh, somebody has got to be able to ask for help. And we've got to sit there and direct people to that instead of uh, putting a stigmatism on it. And uh, uh, I don't know how we do that, but uh, that's beyond me. But you do it by encouraging talking. I mean, we're still going back to that article written in 2003 by that excellent writer for Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim. Yep. The article was titled uh, Prisoners of Depression. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if things have changed that much. We still isolate people that have mental illness or consider them unfit to be around the team you know, it's more difficult to deal with a serious depression than it is with a broken leg. You know, so we, we tend and to make, it's, it's just because, go ahead. It, well, I'm just thinking, you know, even that term uh, mental illness, uh, you know, bothers me a little because I just wonder, and there, you know, there's no question that's a major problem mental illness, but can much of that be prevented by just people seeking help before not to be, say, they're mentally no, ill? No. I mean, you and I are no different uh, sides of the gun issue, and part of my fear, and I, you have some legitimate points you bring up, but some of my fear is that somebody is now, uh, you know, mentally ill. You know, if somebody was in the service, they're mentally ill. I mean, uh, that scares me. Well, well, it should scare you. It should scare everybody because that's what causes school shootings. That's what causes um, all kinds of problems. But I will say this, this one thing nice about my work is that most of the time I'm getting healthy, happy people. I mean, athletes are, I think it's been proven time and time again, they may have more stress on them, but they're generally healthier. And so I'm, I'm able to deal with suicidal issues or try to help resolve that or try to help people talk about issues or resolve depressions, resolve anxieties. But the truth is most of my work, doesn't necessarily require that because people already are coming in healthy and they're just looking to be peak performers in whatever they're doing. So, but I think we can't forget the other side of the coin. So that's why the comprehensive approach towards sports psychology that I try to, you know, promote is the idea that the, that, you know, we have to look at both the positive as well as the negative. If you're going to treat the person fairly, you have to be aware of psychopathology when it rears its ugly head. And I'm not saying it does most of the time, most of the time it doesn't. Most 95% of the time that you don't have those issues, but if something is there, you need to be able to, first of all, be able to diagnose it. And secondly, be able to treat it or refer to somebody else who can treat it. So there's a lot going on with human behavior. It's exciting. I love my work because people are so strange. They're so different. They're so unique. 
<laughs> and I'm so glad you brought up uh, the enjoyment of that profession. I think that's so uh, important. It's not. I think a, a, a good coach sometimes. I mean, when we look at the biomechanics of the stroke, would we change somebody that's been doing something a certain way forever? No, because they're they're doing that. But do we always worry about? Are they going to get injured? Are they going to get hurt? Can we make them better? I think any good coach wants to make uh, uh, somebody uh, better. Uh, Gabriel Sabatini, my uh, son, and I used to have uh, discussions because I was considered a disciplinarian. He'd say if she was, if you were her coach, she would be number one in the world. And uh, and I said, if I was her coach, I don't know if I'd want to change her. She's seeing the whole world. She's enjoying life. I mean, uh, you know, is it that important that she never became who she could have been there? So I was, I'm was. i so pleased to hear you say, you, you know, you're just. it sounds like we're the same boat. You're trying to make somebody more comfortable and just, enjoy their sport more and it's not uh something yeah. that uh most of the time it's uh just a helpful things i i was talking with the uh the brother of bill harris now i think you know jim martz jim martz wrote a good book on florida tennis and the history of florida tennis and the, mm-hmm. the juniors that were ranked number one and the, the top ranked player in the history of florida tennis as a junior was a guy named bill harris bill harris never lost a match now, I talked to his brother. He owned a men's clothing store here in West Palm Beach. And I said, what was, this, what was the key to Bill's success? And I often share this with my clients. Honestly, it was, it was, he was having fun. He was enjoying himself out there. So I think, that, I think if, you can, if you can embrace that perspective, you're going to eliminate 50% of your problems. If you can just make it fun, learn how to enjoy yourself, play with passion, I mean, think of the confidence you're going to gain. Think of the focus you're going to naturally pick up. It's no longer going to be a chore when you have to work out and get ready for matches. So having fun, I think we're all trying to do that. We all have our technical expertise. You're a coach. You have your mechanical and strategical and tactical awareness. I've got my mental skills, uh, you know, repertoire to help players. But we're all still trying to have them have a healthy, happy experience that they can go out there to wipe their part off the court with number one. And then number two, take that off the court and have a healthier, happier life. True. True. So we're well, all John, doing the same thing in many ways. This is true. And I think that's, uh, I don't know. I think we're in a special, well, you're in both. You're in the clinical as well as uh, sports psychology. But I mean, I, I think that I've been blessed to be involved with uh, sports and to have a, a family that uh, supported uh, me and, you know, being able to coach for over 50 years between basketball and uh, tennis. But it's, it's, just a, it's just a reflection of life sports, and I think that's a great thing. I think the audience realizes now I'm not going to have my uh, commentary at the end of the broadcast, but I think our conversation is more often uh, more important, and I will get to it uh, uh, the next broadcast probably. And as I said at the beginning of the broadcast, I don't always have commentary at the end if the conversation is going, and I think uh, our conversation was more important. But we've just about come to the end of the show 
John, tell the tell the people how to contact you, and maybe talk just. We have about three minutes. We'll talk just a okay. little bit about. I don't think enough people. Uh, and I, I know one of my weaknesses. I like to look somebody in the eye and talk to them. But I'm getting more comfortable after three years being on the air here that talking over the phone. Uh, talk to the people just a little bit about that and how to contact you. Well, I mean, if you're hearing this broadcast and you're interested in sports psychology, I'd love to meet you in my office. First of all, that would be the best way. Come to my office in Palm Beach. I'm on, I'm on the island. And you just call me for an appointment. We'll get together with an evaluation. We'll figure out where your strengths are. Otherwise, send me an email. It's info at johnfmurray.com, J-O-H-N-F-M-U-R-R-A-Y.com, and that's also the website, www. So there's many ways to reach me, email, phone, uh, the phone number's on the website, johnfmurray.com. And I think even if you don't want to come in, you know, I'd love to just hear who's out there and know that I'm not just talking to uh, outer space. I, I know some of you are out there interested, but maybe you're not picking up the phone, but please do. Please send me an email, info at johnfmurray.com, or call me for an appointment, and let's let's talk, or just call, call me to chat. Let me know you heard this broadcast. I, wanna, I tried really hard to help you today with focus, John's doing a great service to the community by, you know, promoting these, these, these ideas, these concepts every, every week on the radio. And I'm just trying to be a part of that game and help people learn and help people grow. So thank you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend and positive. And if you have, especially if you have any questions, uh, John will be with us next month at third Thursday again. Uh, let us know, and we'll get into the conversation. Let him know what you want to talk about, and uh, he will discuss those things with you. Let me know, and I'll forward it, uh, you know, to him. And uh, we can talk about the things that you're interested in, because that's what we really want to do. One of the things that I feel so blessed about is that I have mentors that are still given. I mean, I've my conversations with Dr. Murray goes back uh, the first time I had him at a high school uh, tennis coaches workshop. I, I actually had questions about why are we uh, doing this for kids? Why do we need something? And thank God those days are long gone now, but uh, we all need mentors and I'm blessed to talk to a mentor every week. And the next time when we talk, uh, the third Thursday of January. Tell uh, your friends to uh, listen to us, but also tell them to contact us about what you want to hear, because uh, I'd rather do that than ramble on. Doctor, I thank you so much for being on the broadcast again. I look forward to talking with you next month. And um, I'm sure we'll be touching base before. I uh, We talk a lot on uh, Facebook back and forth. I enjoy uh, you sharing the uh, articles the way you do. So uh, I do feel blessed. Please tell your, uh, the audience to listen in. Next week we have uh, Coach Scott uh, Williams uh, with us. Coach, uh, those of you that haven't read his book, Serious Tennis, uh, I suggest it's a very good read. It's one of those books that uh, 
we gave credit for for points for the coaching certification because coaching is more than just strokes uh, or shooting basketballs or hitting the baseball. Uh, uh, to be a, there's a difference between being a tennis pro and being a tennis coach. So thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again um, next week, and have a blessed week. Bye-bye.